0: This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona.
1: Once we're believers and the Holy Spirit takes up residence within our lives, He's always there. So, what does Paul mean when he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit? Don't I have all of the Holy Spirit when I come? Do I get just a portion, uh, uh, just a chunk of it? Don't I have all of the Holy Spirit? The problem is is not that you don't have all of the Holy Spirit, but does the Holy Spirit have all of you?
0: It's when we're filled with the Spirit that our focus is turned to those things of God's kingdom. We're no longer overwhelmed or weighed down by the cares of this world. We are no longer distracted by the attractions of this world. We find ourselves spirit-minded, living a life of thanksgiving and praise. Pastor David points out that we can't be simultaneously worldly and spirit-filled, but we can walk with the assurance of the work of God in our lives. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 18, for the conclusion of our message entitled, Known by Your Walk.
1: For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. In other words, they're playing such favorites and there's a, there's this division in the church and, and suddenly they made all these little factions, these little groups. But here's where it really, uh, comes into play of what we're speaking this morning. In verse 20, Therefore, when you come together in one place, Is it not to eat the Lord's Supper? In other words, you're going to come together, you're going to share communion together, you're going to remember the night that the Lord was betrayed, you remember the bread, the the cup, and all that is significant in that. But yet for them, in verse 21, he says, For in eating, each one of you takes his own supper ahead of others. And he says, And one is hungry, and another is drunk. Drunk. Yeah, but they didn't use fermented grape juice at that time. It was just like, you know, Welch's. They left it out on the counter too many days. Verse 22 says, what? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. Now, there's a lot more in that passage, but the one thing I wanted to draw your attention to was the thing that he speaks in Ephesians when he says, no longer or do not continue to be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Paul wasn't just throwing words out. This was very likely and most likely a problem for the fellowship, or at least many within the fellowship at that point in time, just like it was here in Corinth. The church had lost the whole concept, the whole idea, the balance of what's known as koinonia, communion, fellowship together. In addition, during the same time frame, there was a culture that surrounded the church at that point in time, not only just in Ephesus, but in all of that area. It was the pagan worship of these multitudes of false gods. One of those gods that was worshipped Um, quite a lot. The popularity of this god was high at this point in time. His name was was the Roman god Dionysius. In in the Greek, it was Bacchus, but his name is Dionysius in, in Roman. And he was the god of wine. Now, the worship of Dionysius then incorporated the drinking of large amounts of wine. And after becoming thoroughly intoxicated, the worshipers of Dionysius would move into all sorts of unrestrained activity, including all sorts of gross immorality. In addition, during the festivals, they would run through the streets and the fields, they'd run through the vineyards, crying out and just having a wild time, singing uh, even wild songs, one of the writers tells us. To kind of give you the idea of what goes on with that, Plato had written some 300 years, even before uh, the writings of our New Testament. Plato writing in reference to those who worship Bacchus or Dionysius. He says, while those abominable ceremonies in the worship of Bacchus continued, it was difficult to find in all of Attica, a single sober man. That same form of pagan worship continued in Ephesus even during the time of Paul. And there's many that had been saved out of that culture that were now a part of the church. And I wonder myself if, if it's from this background of all that's going on, if we can really see and understand where Paul is coming from here. But understand this, they came out of a culture and they're now saved, but they need instructions on how to live. I know that's how you worshipped that pagan god, and I know that's how you lived before. Beloved, you need to walk wisely now. I believe that we could probably look at these verses where he says in verse 18, do not be drunk with wine, almost fill in the understanding, like those worshippers of Dionysius. But be filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, not running around, not committing all Kinds of wickedness. I believe that what he's speaking about is their time when they come together as the fellowship. He says in verse 20, Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Helping them to remember that it's from God that all of our blessings flow. It's God that has created and has sustained all things. Our focus, your focus, my focus, the focus of believers today needs to be on the reality and on the presence of God Almighty. And this is totally opposite of the pagan worship. Whereas pagan worshipers focused very much on their own individual cares, concerns, desires, appetites. The worship of God is a time of complete surrender. A time of complete submission to His will and to His desire. Let me help you to understand this a little bit clearer. If the only reason you come to church is to see what you get out of it, you're coming for the wrong reason. You're coming for the wrong reason. We ought to come together as a corporate group in order that we might worship Him. In order that we might give honor and glory to Him. And then hear from Him. His desire for our life. Not coming because, oh, they've got uh, uh, a great this or a great that or, oh, I come because they've, you know, uh, whatever. The whole desire is to come to glorify God. If we're going to walk wisely, we also need to walk, as he says there in verse 18, filled with the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. We come to faith in, in Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us, explains very clearly to us that the Holy Spirit, if we are a believer, the Holy Spirit now abides within us. The Holy Spirit was given to all believers as that seal, as that promise, as that guarantor of of what God has begun in our life. And He will complete it. The Word declares, He who began this work in you will complete it until that day. That's the promise of God in the life and the heart of believers. Once we're believers and the Holy Spirit takes up residence within our lives, He's always there. So, what does Paul mean when he says be filled with the Holy Spirit? Don't I have all of the Holy Spirit when I come? Do I get just a portion, uh, uh, just a chunk of it? Don't I have all of the Holy Spirit? The problem is is not that you don't have all of the Holy Spirit, but does the Holy Spirit have all of you? How much are you open to be filled with the Holy Spirit? There's a man who wrote a. Short story, not really a poem, but just a short story. The title of it, I believe, was uh, Just a Dollar's Worth. The idea and the thought was, give me just a dollar's worth of God, please. Nothing that will change my life so dramatically. Nothing that will cause me to walk in a way that I can't, you know, just walk on my own. Not so much to change my desires, just, just a dollar's worth just so that I know that I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. problem comes when we, even as believers, allow our lives to be filled with outside attractions, addictions, and fleshly appetites. We do have the choice of what fills our lives. But you need to realize that whatever fills your life, that's going to be the very thing that's going to be the motivator in your life whatever fills your life that's going to be what characterizes your life because that's what controls your life and because we allow other things in the world to to press out the work of the holy spirit within us his influence within us then We need to be filled with the Spirit again in an ongoing basis. An ongoing need, an ongoing experience of being refilled with the Holy Spirit. And again... We don't we don't see it real clearly in the English, but again, the, the Greek speaks clearly of the tense and the action of what Paul is saying. And the phrase here has the same meaning that we've seen earlier on in verse 17 and the earlier part of verse 18. The phrase here has the meaning of, you must continue to be being filled with the Holy Spirit not to say, well, you know, I was, I was walking with the Lord just really great three years ago, man, just really filled with the Spirit, so I guess I'm good. No, that's not how it works. When we move in the realm of this world, there's a multitude of things that causes that influence of the Spirit, if we allow it, to, to leak out of us. No, we're not losing the Holy Spirit. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. But the influence and the power of the Spirit is lessened when we are more involved and distracted by the things of the world than we are by the things of God. It's only when we're filled with the Spirit that our focus turns to those things which are of God's kingdom. We're no longer overwhelmed. We're no longer weighed down by all the cares of the world. Do we still have cares of the world? Do we still have issues? Yes. And we deal with those, but we deal with those with the focus of our heart and mind being on Christ. We're no longer distracted by the attractions of the world. We find ourselves spirit-minded, living a life of thanksgiving, living a life of praise. Now, I want to stop here and put again a little uh, sidebar for you. Does that mean that we can't enjoy the world? Does that mean that we can't enjoy our life and have fun? No. That's not what it means. I believe that the Lord has given us a multitude of things that, that we can have fun that we can enjoy with, but you know the things that would draw you away from your walk in Christ versus those things that, again, or they're, they're fine. It's not an issue in my walk with Christ. But... Are we enjoying the things that draw us away from our wise walk in the Lord? It's only when we're filled with the Spirit that our focus turns to those things of the kingdom. It's only when we're filled with the Spirit that we can live that life of thankfulness, of praise. In the last section of these verses, Paul again brings into light one of Jesus' main directives for his disciples. Verse 21. He says they're submitting to one another in the fear of God. And here we find that if we're going to walk wisely, then we need to walk in humble submission. One would think that by now the church would would have this one nailed down, wouldn't you? But if you thought that way, you'd be wrong. Because we don't. Pride reigns and rules, even within the church today. So... Just like the wild living, just like the sensuality, just like the immoral culture, pride is there that will cause a stumbling, cause a division, cause an emptiness, cause a lack of power within an individual, within a church body's work within a community. And it's pride that keeps us from submitting to one another. The word here says submit to one another in the fear of God. It can be spiritual pride or simply fleshly pride pride, but either way, pride restrains us from being who we are and reacting and responding to each other in the way that we should. It keeps me from submitting myself to another. Someone has said that pride leads us to demand rigorously from others what we believe they owe us, but yet humility is to give to others what Christ teaches That we owe to them. Submission is a universal spiritual principle. And it's connected to that spirit filled life. And you cannot be simultaneously prideful and spirit filled at the same time. Because that pride is taking a portion of what the spirit ought to be doing in your life. Therefore, you cannot be spirit filled and spirit led. If you are walking in pride, they do not mix. I want you to come with me, if you would, to one other place. Let's go back to the upper room. There in the Gospel of John, chapter 13. In understanding and realizing all that's going on, this is just hours before, again, the, 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 the arrest of Christ. Jesus knew that they had come to Jerusalem for one Purpose and one purpose alone, that was for him to go to the cross. And he understood that that was just hours away. This was something that was weighing on his heart tremendously that evening as he shared the meal with his disciples. Verse 1 of John 13 says, Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them To the end. Verse 2 Now, by the time of supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. Now, I want to stop right there, and I want you to look at those quick things. Jesus knew he had this assurance. That God had given everything into his hands. Jesus walked with the assurance of the work of the Father within his life. He knew, he understood that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. Jesus, in this time, even though all the darkness that was right in front of him that he was going to have to go through, he understood not only his origin, but he understood his destiny. And in the midst of that, because he knew all of those things, then he could respond easily the way that he's about to respond to these guys. Verse 4, So he got up from supper and laid aside his robe, took a towel and tied it around himself. Next he poured water in a basin began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with a towel tied around him. Verse 6, He came to Simon Peter who asked, Are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, and he said, what I'm doing, you you don't understand. But afterwards, you will know. Simon was indignant about this. You see, because he didn't receive the humble act of the Lord, Simon was acting in pride. He says, oh, you'll never wash my feet, ever. Now, he might have thought that that was like a really spiritual thing. No, I'm not, I'm not going to allow Jesus to wash my feet. But do you realize, do you see the pride in that? We know that there's a lot of pride in Peter's life. Remember, he's the one that says, though everybody else forsake you, though everybody else deny you, <laughs> you can count on me, Lord. You can count on me. And yet he was the one that denied those three. You see where spiritual pride will get you? Spiritual pride takes the emphasis not on, it takes the emphasis off of Christ and it makes it very much in your own life. Peter said, you'll never wash my feet ever. Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. You see, Peter didn't understand in the Spirit. He, did, he wasn't walking in the Spirit, I don't believe, at that point in time. He did not know what was going on because his walk wasn't in the Spirit. He was still being driven by pride. And because of that pride, that's also the reason for this knee-jerk reaction from Peter, from one end of the pendulum, now all the way to the other. You'll never wash my feet, Lord, never, ever. Whoa, wash all of me. Take all of me. Simon Peter said to him, verse 9, he says, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus says, one who has bathed, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. Verse 12, when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his robe, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, this is well said, for I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. With all that was going on in the life of Christ at that point in time, knowing for certain that the hour was very short, one of the biggest lessons that he gave for his disciples that they needed so desperately because we've seen these boys interact among each other. We've seen them, hey, you know, they're they're not with us, should we call hellfire down on them, destroy them? Hey, how about this? Oh, yeah. We we've seen how these guys work. The biggest lesson that the Lord gives to them within this short period of time is submission one to another. Walking in humility with your brothers. And when you look at the time frame of that lesson, I believe that that's a pretty powerful lesson. I think that that's something that we really need to get a grasp on as the church. There needs to be that kind of humility, that kind of uh, service and care For each other. That submitting to one another. It's the idea, man, when you see a brother that's burdened down, you who are spiritual, come and lift that one up. It's the kind of understanding that says you need to bear one another's burdens. You've got a brother or sister that's struggling in some areas. Man, you need to come alongside of them. It's the idea of what the Word says, man, esteeming others greater than yourself. But you know the Word says that if we humble ourselves... He will lift us up at the right time. But if we continue trying try to exalt ourselves, you know what? Number one, we're not walking wisely. We're not walking in the spirit. We're walking in the pride of the flesh. I believe it's on that idea here back in Ephesians of what Paul says, submitting to one another in the fear of God I believe that it's on that kind of an idea that Paul builds the rest of his directions for the Christian life. And when he says, in the fear of God, you, you need to remember back what we've looked at over the last couple of weeks this idea of fear of God. What is the fear of God? Ah, he's going to beat me? No. It's the fear of the reverence, the majesty, the might. The awesomeness of who he is. You see, when I have that kind of a mindset, and like, like Jesus had the assurance, man, I, I, I know who he is, I know that I'm his, I know that he's leading in my life, I know where I've been, but more than that, I know where I'm going. It's a lot easier for me to get my eyes off myself and to be able to look and see where the needs of those that are around me are. It's a lot easier for me to make myself less because, hey, I'm just the Lord's so and the Lord's will do whatever he needs to. I just want to be a vessel of his choosing and working and ministering to the people that are around me. If we can't get our heads wrapped around that concept, gang, that concept of mutual submission to each other, then I don't believe we'll ever be able to fully understand what the Word is telling us about life. If we don't understand the humility part, we're going to miss tremendously what God would have us to do in our lives. First thing we need to do is surrender to Christ. Number one, is your life surrendered to Christ? But number two, are you walking in obedience? Or are you walking for your good pleasure? And thirdly, are you really living with this idea of mutual submission? Or is pride still a great motivator within your life?
0: Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Open Word. Pastor David will continue verse by verse through the book of Ephesians next time. Now, we want to encourage you to become a Facebook friend with us. Log on to theopenword.com and follow the link to the Open Word Facebook page. To stay current with what's being broadcasted here on The Open Word, subscribe to our Twitter feed at The Open Word Radio. You can subscribe to The Open Word Podcast at TheOpenWord.com or search for The Open Word in the iTunes Store. The Open Word Podcast is always available and completely free. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to The Open Word Podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to TheOpenWord.com and subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. And to become our Facebook friend, follow the Open Word Twitter feed, or to access the archive of messages, log on to TheOpenWord.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We invite you to join us again for the next study of Pastor David's teaching through the book of Ephesians. That's next time on The Open Word.